Saban Claus is coming to town to steal all your recruits. Billy, with your nose so bright, won't you guide our team tonight? (laughs) (laughs) That's why they call him Blue Chip. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Another National Signing Day. Man, I did everything I could today to not work and just sit there and watch 24-7 on 3 ESPN, all their coverages of everything going on. Um, Is that different from any other day for you? No. You know, this week, obviously, it's the holidays. Not many people are working, typically, except for when it's 20 degrees outside and people need to rent air conditioners. But I digress. All I want to do today is sit around and watch National Sign Day. Didn't get a chance to, but uh, thanks to Twitter and all the new stuff I follow on the Rowdy Pod podcast uh, Twitter page, we got everything we needed National Sign Day-wise. It was very eventful. Crazy, crazy stuff going on. Uh, Top five ended up being Alabama. One, of course... Uh, Kirby Smart in Georgia ended up at number two. Miami, Mario Cristobal's first full class ended up at number three. Uh, Texas ended up at number four. Steve Sarkeesian bringing in Arch Manning. And Ohio State crept their way back into number five. Um, I thought Oregon was actually going to take that spot with everything they had going on. But it ended up being a pretty wild day. Very, very eventful. Uh, Not as much for my Georgia Bulldogs as, as, as typical, even though they did end up with the number two class. But... Uh, still very intriguing, uh, fun to keep up with. Yeah, to me, I, I think the biggest story of the day is, is the Ducks, without a question. Uh, Mario Cristobal, you know, leaves, goes down to Miami, and, you know, you can talk about Miami. Miami had a really solid class, 26 commits. Um, I'm going by 24-7. Of course, Witt's going by on three. But going from 24-7, I'm looking at Miami at four right now. He's, Mario Cristobal and his composite player rating and the guys that they just brought into their class huge not to mention all the moves they're going to make in the transform portal miami's not done yet and that's the craziest thing about it but i mean even then cristobal's gone and i still think oregon's oregon's the biggest story of the day uh they lost dante moore uh was it last night or was that this morning it was announced that dante moore was going to flip to ucla i think think it was yesterday yeah which honestly that was the biggest knock to oregon i think they had um dante moore flipped and they had they had a guy named caleb presley um, I yeah. believe, I think that was his name. He was a corner. Then he was committed to him. He was a big four-star guy. I can't remember where he ended up going though. I'm going to be honest with you. They also lost, um, in, in transfer portal news, Oregon also lost, what's his name to Arizona. Uh, Oh, uh, Justin Flo. Yeah. Justin Flo. They yes. Did. Thank yeah. You. Justin, I mean- Justin Flo, former five-star, uh, him and Noah Sua both came in together uh, yeah. back in the day. They, Justin Flo is a guy though. He's a big loss for him because he was a five-star player, super talented, but he had so many injury issues. Uh, so yeah. I, when I saw he was transferring, I was kind of like, eh. I mean, it's a big yeah. name, but nothing. Oh, but, he, but yeah, but but even then, like, I think Oregon, Oregon's sitting at seven, according to 24-7 Sports. Like, it's a huge day. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read off this tweet from at the Rowdy Pod. That's our Twitter account, by the way, everybody, that uh, Witt put out today. Just, just, just listen to this. Five-star edge over Ohio State. Flipped a five-star safety from Notre Dame. Picked up a four-star quarterback that was committed to Baylor. Four-star DB from LSU that they flipped. And then another flip of a four-star running back from Notre Dame and Jaden Lamar. Not only is Dan Lanning picking up exactly where Mario Cristobal left off, I, I almost feel like he's rolling even harder than Cristobal was because these guys just went... Nine, nine and three, correct? They went nine and three? Yep. They just went nine and three. They lost Civil War. They lost two of their last three games in the season to Oregon State and Washington. But Dan Lanning just keeps it going. And this is a first-time head coach. And this is a humongous class, by the way. Like, there is 28 kids in this class, not to mention one, two, three, four, five transfers all who were four stars coming out of high school. Two of them from Alabama, Kyrie Jackson and Treshawn Holden. You get Justin Jacobs from Iowa, Junior and Guyloo from Texas, and then that offensive lineman, Ajane Cornelius from Rhode Island, who was very coveted coming out of FCS in the transfer portal. Huge day. Huge day. That's 32 players. That's flipping a roster. That's flipping an entire starting offensive, offense and defense and then plus 10. 
And like, not only that, Dan Lanning, let me read this off to you. You got a kid from Texas, and most of their kids are from California, but Florida, uh, another kid from Arizona, another kid from Texas. They went out to Hawaii and got a kid. They got another kid from Texas, another kid from Texas, another Arizona kid, another Arizona kid, another Texas kid. They went to Mississippi and got Dante Daudel from Mississippi. Dan Lanning is pulling from all across the country. Oregon is becoming a national brand. Humongous win. Humongous win for Oregon and Dan Lanning today. They they are going to be in firm control of the pack if they can if they can win games and, and, and keep everybody together and use these freshmen on top of the great kids that they already had anyway, and then get these transfers in with Bo Nix coming back for another season. Oregon is rolling. Oregon's rolling in Eugene. Yeah, they're rolling, and honestly, it's huge, too, that they did what they did today. Uh, because up until today, they were behind USC in the recruiting ranking. And USC pulled in, who ESPN has ranked as the number one overall player. ESPN is not a recruiting uh, recruiting ranking that I really follow, but Malachi Nelson, um, he's going to USC. He was a former Oklahoma commit when Lincoln Riley was there. And, of course, jumped ship uh, when he moved to USC. But he's a huge time player. Uh, pretty much every single recruiting outlook, except for ESPN, has him ranked as either the number two or number three overall player behind um, Arch Manning or Dante Moore, depending on how they see them being developed in the future. Uh, Malachi Moore, star, star, blue chip, big time player. USC on in the on three ended up 13 overall. Uh, they ended up with three five star players, eight four star guys. Uh, their average was ninety point nine or ninety point seven one for their players. I mean, that's I mean, Oregon was like eighty nine point something. I think they were the lowest in the top fifteen. So it's they got to be able to keep up with USC. I mean, the way that Lincoln Riley had that team rolling this year, they're going to be able to recruit really well and going to be able to make a lot of noise in the transfer portal. So the more that Dan Lanning does with recruiting high school players, bringing in some of the guys he did, like you listed off from the transfer portal already. That's going to be massive because, I mean, right now, if you look at this conference, it's um, it's Oregon, it's USC, and then a notch below, it's UCLA. And then you got Utah still kind of hanging around there for now. But at some point, if, if they keep recruiting in the top 10, USC and Oregon are just going to jump in front of everybody. Well, I think another another thing that makes it so important for Dan Lanning and Oregon to land a – and this is just early signing day. You know, we're not – we're not even the, re- the real national signing day at the end of January, early February. And then there's that second window where the portal opens. So Oregon's not done. Like, oh, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much more Dan Lanning can do. And I mean, I don't know with a, with a class of 32 guys, you know, 28 signees and then five in the transfer portal. And who knows if more to come, you, you just got to think there's, there's so much more that's yet to happen. There's, Still some kids out there to commit. I mean, I know most kids like to get their national letter of intent signed today um, and get all the details worked out. You know, just go ahead and knock it out in the early signing period. But there's, there's still more for Oregon to do, and I'm sure there's still some kids out there. And like, I mean, and I'll admit I'm not, I'm not someone who sits in front of me all day with a high school recruiting class because there's 50 states in this great nation, and I and how many 130 plus FBS teams and and five Power Five conferences. I can't sit there and, and, and keep my eye on everything like that all the, all day, all the time. But there's more for Oregon to do. Guaranteed there's more for Oregon to do. And, and with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten in a couple of years, Oregon and Dan Lanning are just setting themselves up. If, if they don't leave, if they don't leave and follow suit to the Big Ten and they stay, Oregon's setting themselves up to run the Pac-12. And then a 12-team playoff, Dan Lanning keeps bringing in this much talent. They'll be in the playoff every year. It doesn't matter what seed they are because chances are, even if they don't win the Pac-12, Oregon's going to have a deep enough talent roster to at least win 10, 11 games per year because the rest of the Pac-12 is going to be so far behind once UCLA and USC leave. It's going to be Oregon's conference to lose. And and it's just so big for Dan Lanning to be doing this in his first full cycle as Oregon's head coach. I mean, he came in last year and kind of, you know, you, you do what every coach does in their first year, like what new coaches that got hired in this cycle are doing now, and you kind of, you know, tape and Band-Aid and glue stuff together and go, guys, please stay, don't leave, and you do what you can. 
And then Dan Lanning turns around and does this. Round of applause. Round of applause for Dan Lanning, man. I know there's a bunch of other schools out there to talk about, but I just I'm fixated with with the job that that the Oregon Ducks did with this cycle. Yeah, I mean, Dan Lanning's been incredible. I mean, I I think you could say he, him and Sonny Dykes um, are probably one and two in first year head coaches um, after what they did this season, actually on the field, and then come to see. I mean, Sonny Dykes is doing well in recruiting as well. I think he has a top fifteen class. Uh, Dan Lanning comes in number seven overall class. Uh, but I think if you got to give an award to the best first year recruiting class, you got to go with Mario Cristobal at Miami. They ended up number three overall. They have the number three overall player in cornerback Cormani McLean, who actually, if you've been keeping up with the news, is being flirted with quite a bit with our good buddy Deion Sanders, who is now the head coach. Of Colorado, he's trying to come in again and pull the number one corner in the class, uh, trying to sell him on having a career like Dion's, I'm assuming, um, and probably lots of NIL money that Colorado is pulling together to help out with recruiting. Uh, and so, you know, that might dock him a little bit. That's going to be their best player. But they ended up with 16 blue chip players. Um, those are all guys inside the top 100. Uh, three five stars, which honestly, Miami, if you look back at all the seasons they've had since... Um, they were winning national championships back in like 2003, 2002, those those kind of years. They have not had these kind of recruited classes in a long time. Mario Cristobal is the first one to come in and really dominate the recruiting reins with them. So got gotta gotta give big props to him. Uh, Miami, honestly, coming off the season, I didn't really see them doing anything special. I mean, I'm a big fan of Cristobal. I like the way he recruits. Um, I think he's a huge culture guy. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit in the group message the other day, talking about culture guys like Billy Napier. Um, Jimbo Fisher's one guy that I always said, I don't think he is a great culture guy. He's more of a, let me just get the best players in here and see what happens kind of guy. Mario Cristobal, I think he's doing things very similar to Jimbo, whereas he's going out with this NIL money, throwing money at people saying, come play for me. We got these big time boosters. Um, you know, let's, let's make Miami great again, as everybody tries to do every time they go and coach in Miami. But with Cristobal, he's a lot like the Miami coaches of old, where he wants to get all these guys in here. He wants to build a culture with them and he wants to not win now, but win for a long time. Like he wants to be a 15 year winning head coach as more so than let's see what happens next year and just start winning football games. So if, if I'm getting out an award, best recruiter, uh, at, at least, maybe even best coach, first-year head coach, yeah, Mario Cristobal's got to be up there. Look, as a, uh, as a diehard Florida Gator fan, I have absolutely nothing positive to say about Miami and the way that they've gone about things. And it's 100% comes from bitterness because if you're keeping a close eye on the situation that I – obviously that I am with, it, with my team being involved, like, in the same state, Florida and Miami are in a complete war with each other right now on the recruiting trail. And Mario Cristobal just happens to be beating Billy Napier, and I'm very bitter about it. Um, and it's 100%. It's 100% due to the fact that Miami's just throwing around NIL money, just like Texas A&M did last year when Texas A&M signed the statistically greatest class of all time. Um, look, now I'll put my bias aside, and I will say this: I have no issues with Mario Cristobal. Um, I think he's a good coach. I liked him at Oregon. He's an elite recruiter. I mean, you know. I saw this coming when Miami hired him. Just seeing what he was able to do at Oregon and reel in consistently top eight, top ten, flirting with top five classes in Eugene, and to be able to keep that national brand being sold after Chip Kelly had left, and even after uh, what's his face, uh, when Willie Taggart was there, but I can't remember homeboy's name after him. Um, but either way, to keep that going and bring in the athletes that they brought in and stay as relevant as they did under Mario Cristobal, he's an elite recruiter. And with the staff that they've got assembled down there and, and knowing that he's back home and he has a, has a selling point for the fact that he is a Miami Hurricane through and through, I saw it coming. Now, my biggest question for Miami, and I know you said Cristobal's a culture guy, and I believe the same thing. I think he's more of a culture guy than Jimbo Fisher. But my big question kind of goes to what you said. I, I wonder if they're going to be able to keep all these kids because they got a big class. That's 26 kids, just high school kids. Um, I'll have to look at their portal numbers. But, you know, 
that's a lot of kids to bring in and you bring in a lot of blue chip kids and that's great. Like it's, it's really good. I wish it was a situation Florida was in, but you know, you kind of have to look at it and you got to go, there's only so many positions. And with the money that, that if you read and kind of look into that, Miami's been thrown around. If some of these kids don't, don't start or get significant playing time or don't want to accept a red shirt, their freshman year, how many of these kids are going to be flown into the portal next year? How much of a culture can Miami hold? To me, that, that is the big question. Um, you know, and, and that's where I think it's going to have to be the biggest thing to watch down there in the long run. Because I do agree. I think Miami in the long run is built to win under Cristobal with, with the way he recruits and the success that we've seen him have. You know, you take this year, you take five and seven, you push it to the side, you throw it in the trash. He wasn't left. He wasn't exactly left with a cupboard full of groceries. If anything, he had a can of soup and some salt and an old stale bag of chips in the cupboard. And he had to go to Walmart and get a whole sack full and stuff the cupboard back up because there was nothing left. So I just I think he's going to do a great job at Miami. And I'm not going to say that they're going to win next year, but I think Miami is at least a 2024, 2025 when they're going to be coming into their own really, really hard um, as a team and competing for the ACC and being a real threat to Dabo and Clemson. Um, so, yeah, but but like I said, that's my biggest question. Is this is the culture sustainable? Is all this NIL money floating around the right thing for the Hurricanes? If you want my biased opinion, I hope they fail and they fall off the face of the earth and Maybe their plane crashes into the ocean or something when they're going on a recruiting trip, but who knows? And so. they and they live. And they- <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope they live, Chad. Let's hope they live. I have nothing positive to say about the way they're throwing around NIL money. It absolutely pisses me off because it needs to be policed. Well, either way, I hope nobody dies. I hope nobody in that program dies. I hope Mario Criswell doesn't die. And another person I hope doesn't die is Nick Saban. And, uh, and Nick Saban, once again, pulls in one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time. I actually think it's ranked, it's either two or three. I think it's two uh, to Jimbo Fisher's number one overall recruiting class from last year that he's now had nine players transfer from. Uh, so maybe you might even could say it's one, depending on if these guys actually hang around. Ended up with three of the top six players in the state of Georgia, which makes me very bitter going into Kirby Smart's backyard and stealing these top guys. Uh, Caleb Downs is the number six overall player. He's a five-star in every outlook. Um, he's a safety. Dude's an absolute stud. He came from Mill Creek. Uh, he's going there. Justice, Justice Haynes coming from Buford as a running back. He's a five-star running back. I think he's the number three running back overall. Dude is an absolute animal. Uh, he's another Georgia guy. They got Keon Keeley, number one edge rusher. They got James Smith, the number three edge rusher in the entire class. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on, as it always does. They ended up with four edge rushers in this class. I mean, that's probably I, – I bet two of those guys are going to end up being a Will Anderson, uh, Dallas Turner type duo once again. I mean, these guys, especially on defense, Nick Saban just pours on the talent. It, it, it's It's incredible. Um, they really didn't end up with anybody elite in the receiving core. I did notice um, that's kind of been their Achilles heel for at least this past year. Um, and then the year before, after they ended up losing John Met or uh, yeah, John Mechie and Jamison Williams. So I don't know if that might spell some things for them. Maybe they're starting to lose their touch at receiver just based on maybe coaching or whatever. But either way, I mean, Nick Saban once again comes in with this blue chip top tier class, even after the season they had this year where, they obviously are a step behind what they normally are, um, and it's honestly just incredible to see what Nick Saban's done for years and years and years, just nonstop success in recruiting. Um, I Lord knows how he does it now, especially with NIL, because you can't even say he's paying players, because he probably is, but now it's legal, and everybody else is doing it too, and he still has these kind of classes. So I don't even know what to say about it at this point. Good for Nick Saban. Good for Alabama. I hope he does not die. <laughs> Well, just to clarify, I don't know if Keys is going to edit what I said out or not. I obviously don't hope Miami crashes a plane <laughs> into the ocean. But I, I think a big thing that you said about Alabama is they didn't bring in big blue chip name receivers that you know about. But the one thing that they did do is they brought in quantity. 
They got quantity over quality. They got five wide receivers in this class and two quarterbacks. And and if you look at the breakdown, they got all most of these kids are right there in their own backyard. Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. They just they go the, the Alabama's hold on the South is huge. I mean, they are just, they have got a tight grip and they can go and stick their hand in any state around them and go, especially in Mississippi where they can go. Mississippi State and Ole Miss don't have anything in terms of, to offer in terms of the history and competitiveness that we do. Come here. They can go to Georgia and say, listen, Georgia's not going to have room for you here and we think that we can beat Georgia. Come here. Boom. They can go down into Florida right now and with the way that Florida and Florida State have been recently, they can go, no, you don't have to go there pull here you know they just it's unbelievable Nick Saban he's a constant he, he's the one constant and and I think that stands to you know what so many people want to talk about with is the dynasty over because oh god they lost two games and if they lose if they lose their bowl game to Kansas State people are gonna go oh well you know it's just might be losing his touch I promise you Alabama's not losing their touch and Nick Saban's got what like seven eight years left on that extension he signed he's not going anywhere anytime soon neither is Alabama so if anything, this this signing class today just completely, completely solidifies the fact that Nick Saban in Alabama here to stay, man, and and it's just absolutely impressive to watch. Their composite rating on twenty four seven is three twenty six. That's a almost full thirty points ahead of what Georgia's is at number two, and there Georgia's the only other team to break three hundred. And like I said earlier, we're not even we're not even national signing day at the end of February yet. Or Alabama hasn't actually taken any player. They have zero players transferring in. They can still get people in the portal. Just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous signing class for Alabama. Um, they, they just keep on rolling in Tuscaloosa. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hop into our pour one out, cut them off. Matt is not here. He's usually our lead off man so chad how about you lead it off for us today yeah man so i'm gonna pour one out for chris creighton uh chris creighton head coach at eastern michigan university um and the great job that he's done there probably one of the most underrated overlooked coaches in the entire country but obviously with fairly good reason for him being at emu but the reason I'm going to pour one out for them is Eastern Michigan wins their bowl game last night against San Jose State. That is their second bowl win in school history, their first bowl win since the 1980s, and ironically, their first and only bowl win came against San Jose State. And, of course, they did it again yesterday afternoon on the blue field, Albertson Stadium in Boise, Idaho, winning the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Um, Eastern Michigan – has only been to six bowl games in their entire history as a football program. Six bowl games in their entire history as a football program. Chris Creighton has taken them to five. He counts for five of those six bowl games, and he's been at Eastern Michigan since 2014. He's 46 and 61 overall, which is not great, but he has been the longest tenured coach at Eastern Michigan. I believe since the seventies and he's only been there since 2014. So you got to pour one out for him. Fantastic job for a program that, you know, has been bottom of the barrel in terms of group of five programs for a long time. I mean, they're, they've been the afterthought in the Mac for, for quite a while. And, you know, he comes out, gets them that first bowl win and a nine game season on top of it, pour one out for him and the Eagles big win for them. Uh, and I'm cutting off Braves fans. Um, I've just, you know, as a Braves fan myself, I, I can't, I can't really seem to wrap my mind around why everyone's so sad and so distraught that Dansby Swanson's leaving. You know, Dansby Swanson signs a seven-year, $177 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. Okay, great. It's fantastic. See ya. I'm not upset about it. I mean, we lose our locker room leader. As a Braves fan, yeah, it hurts my feelings a little bit that we lost our locker room leader and a great defensive shortstop, but James B. Swanson's not worth $25.2 million. And if you want my personal opinion, some of my cohorts that are Atlanta Braves fans have held Dansby Swanson way too high 
up on a pedestal that he never belonged on in the first place because he's a career 255 hitter. Had career highs in strikeouts the last two seasons. And I know there are some people who say strikeouts don't matter in baseball nowadays. I disagree because I've seen Dansby Swanson strike out quite a lot in clutch situations when we needed him. So the man had one career a year, and that was last year. But even in, even last year, he only hit 277. So, I mean, he's never hit higher than that in his whole career. So $25.2 million a year for that guy, and Braves fans are all sad. I mean, I get it. We lost Freddie and Dansby in the last two years, but oh well. Dansby Swanson wasn't worth that kind of money. He just wasn't. Trey Turner got $27.3 million a year from the Phillies. That's a guy who's a five-tool player who's worth the money. Dansby Swanson was not. So my fellow Braves fans, I'm cutting you off. You don't need to be that sad about Dansby Swanson. You really don't. Von Grissom's young. He's cheap. And there's a we saw what he could do last year. There's a very good chance he could continue to flourish. And if you look at our lineup top to bottom, we're still pretty solid. Our bullpen's pretty solid as well, and so is our rotation. I think we're going to be just fine without Dansby Swanson. So get over it. Whit, who you pouring one out for? So I got a couple pour one outs. Uh, they're both pretty quick. It's actually two. Um, I'm going to pour one out for bowl games. I know we, we've done it a couple times, but so far, I mean, we're sitting here. The R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl is about to start. Western Kentucky versus South Alabama. We've had some really, really, really good ball games this year. Um, pretty much from start to finish, every game has been awesome. Uh, I know last week I talked about getting my wisdom teeth taken out uh, last Friday, which I did. But come that next day on Saturday, we had ball games pretty much all day. And uh, if not for those bowl games, getting to sit around, watch those, be entertained, um, I would have been in lots and lots of pain and really, really bored because that's, you know, I wouldn't have had anything else to do besides maybe watch Christmas movies, which, let's face it, that would have been terrible. So thank you for bowl games. Uh, bowl games are phenomenal. I think when this 12-team playoff comes about, we're going to lose uh, a lot of the essence that is bowl games. So I'm trying to enjoy them as much as I can, especially this year. Um, I'm also going to pour one out for, no, I just made fun of Christmas movies, Christmas season in general. Because nowadays, everybody's putting up lights. You got these pop-up Christmas bars that everybody's doing now, uh, like the one that me and Kiesler went to. Um, and they're honestly pretty cool. I mean, the vibes are awesome. They come up with these fancy drinks. Um, it's You know, there's some cheesy stuff that goes along with them. I mean, some of these movies are pretty cheesy, especially like on Hallmark. Uh, but it's nice to see, you know, a little love in the air, a little good vibe, some good smells, you know. Um, good scenery. Uh, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the Christmas season this year. And, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. That was very tender. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I am also going to be cutting off fall basketball. I cut off basketball last week, too. But I'm going to do it again. We're sitting here watching the Michigan-North Carolina game. I don't care about this game. I don't care. Look, on three, I, I, I got our Twitter following the on three recruits, and they tweet about basketball. 24-7 does the same thing. I don't care about basketball recruiting, and I don't care about college basketball in the fall or or the wintertime. December, no. Give me college basketball come March when, you know, March Madness, you know, we got the one-and-done games, all this kind of crazy stuff. That's, that's fun. I love it. But right now, you can lose 11 games or 15 games as a college basketball team and still make – the 64-man playoff that they have. So regular season, complete waste of time. Uh, so I'm, I'm cutting off all the hype that's surrounding college basketball right now with with more of the smaller bowl games being on, um, like ESPN and stuff. I've noticed that they've started pushing college basketball a lot more too. Same with the NBA. Um, it's like, oh, okay, well, now it's basketball season. It's like, no, it's not. It is still football season. We have NFL. NFL is coming down to the wire for the playoffs, and that's been phenomenal. We have bowl games. Every single game has been great. Even the ones that are blowouts, they're just fun to watch. It's good to have football on the television. And we got the playoff coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend. So it's not like we're we're sitting around not doing anything. I mean, there's lots of good football going on. Um, so basketball, take it take a step back. Let, let, let's talk in March, um, and maybe you know come playoff time for the NBA in June. Um, even though it'll be brave season by then, so I probably won't care anyway. But basketball, just get out of my face, please. Cutting you off. Keys, what about you? 
And not me over here calculating the Falcons' chances to even make the wild card. It Desmond Ritter's in now, baby. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, anyway, I'm pouring one out for Chad this week. Uh, Chad has really been killing it lately with our Instagram. Uh, some of the stories he's been posting have been pretty funny. Uh, specifically, the bowl game ones. The is it really a reward to go to Idaho in December bowl was good. That's the famous Idaho potato bowl. And I also laughed at the uh, the wake up and it football starts in 10 minutes bowl, which was the Fenway bowl. Because <laughs> I did wake up for that bowl. I did too. Uh, so pour one out for Chad. Good job with the Instagram lately. If you haven't seen any of the posts he's been making, uh, go check them out. Go vote in our polls for our matchups and all that jazz. Keep it up, Chad. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. A small story. I 100% woke up 10 minutes before that game started. And that's the only reason I even came up with that because I woke up <laughs> at 10 50 and I was like, Oh my God, football comes on in 10 minutes. So. Yeah. So go, go check out more Chad's post at rowdy pod on Instagram. Check out wits tweets on Twitter at rowdy pod. Go follow our TikTok. We're working on that one still at rowdy pod, uh, everything at rowdy pod. And I will be cutting off, moving up to the NFL for my cutoff. The Patriots lost to the Raiders. There was a, Zero 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 on the clock, twenty four twenty four. All they had, all the the Patriots had to do was just honestly take a knee, take it to overtime, and instead they decide to start playing hooks and ladders, and they get an interception, and the Raiders run it back and win. That was like one of the saddest losses I've seen in a while, and the Patriots are already down bad. I uh, I saw that game live on NFL Red Zone. That was the opposite of a hail mary. Like it was literally they were they were trying to do something in the game just to go in and score like anybody does and they ended up making a bad throw. I can't remember who it was. It was one of their best players too. That Jacoby Myers. Yeah, Jacoby Myers. Yeah, he's their best receiver right now. And uh and he threw it right into the hands of Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones coming who is a phenomenal edge rusher also, but he um and yeah, I, I saw it happen. That was pretty bad. So go Raiders, Patriots suck, Mac Jones sucks, Matt can't defend them, so you know who else Mac sucks? Mac Jones sucks. What? <laughs> the Rams. The Rams do suck. They go from winning 90% Super Bowl. of their players are injured for the year. But. Yes, they, yeah. the, Rams, the Rams are a walking hospital right now. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and I think Matthew Stafford's done. But Regardless, let's go ahead and move into our locks of the week. we got a couple bowl games we're going to lock. Uh, Chad, why don't you get us started? What you got for us? So, in honor of our co-host Matt not being here tonight, uh, Matt has the flu. Matt, when you hear this back and listen to this, buddy, we hope you feel better. I My lock of the week is going to be the easy post-Hawaii Bowl. We all know Matt loves Honolulu, Hawaii, and anything football-related in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, it is my favorite Christmas Eve tradition ever. And I'm talking about dating back to when I was a child, because that's how deep for my love for college football runs is the Hawaii Bowl. Always stayed up late, even at eight or nine years old, watching the Hawaii Bowl. You know, there's no one ever there. It's one of the quietest, most boring atmospheres in all of bowl season. But who cares? You had to go spend a week in paradise, just like we talked about last week with the Bahamas Bowl. Same thing here with the Hawaii Bowl. And me and Matt, God, me and Matt both love it. This year, we got it coming up on Saturday, which is just, boys, we're what, three, three short days away from Christmas Eve and four short days away from Christmas. But I am going to roll with Middle Tennessee in this one. San Diego State's actually a seven-point favorite, but I'm going to roll with Middle Tennessee. San Diego State just turns the ball over, um, you know, and they don't, they don't score a ton of points. They only score 21.3 points per game. The quarterback's only got a plus three in his touchdown-interception ratio, uh, <clears throat> does Jalen Maiden. Uh, and I just I don't think they'll be able to hang on to the ball. Chase Cunningham, uh, plus 10 in his touchdown-interception ratio. And I just think that they're going to hold on to the ball more than San Diego State can. And I think the Blue Raiders are going to go out to Honolulu and fly back with the trophy on Christmas Day. So I am locking in Middle Tennessee over San Diego State in the Hawaii Bowl. Whit, who's your lock? So before we do my lock, um, I do want to say how much I love the troops and uh, and the fact that they, you know, give their lives for our country. And and uh, I have so much respect for them. Um, but I am picking the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl and I am picking against the Air Force. 
Um, and I'm going to say some things that not a lot of people are going to like here. Um, the reason I'm going to pick Baylor over Air Force is because if you look through Air Force's 9-3 and three schedule they have, they don't have very many good wins. They play in a very, very, very bad conference. Uh, the Mountain West has been just terrible this year. San Diego State, um, I believe, is one of the best teams in that conference, and they honestly were not very good. I mean, I think Fresno State ended up winning, and isn't that right? No, Boise did. Boise State won it. They beat Fresno. Yeah, I about to say. I think Boise State and Fresno State were the only two decent teams. They beat San Diego State. Um, I mean, they all they barely beat Army. I watched the whole Army Navy game. Both those teams looked awful. Pretty much all the military teams this year did not look good. And as much as I love the military, much as I respect the people that fight for our country, uh, your football teams suck. Uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I can't stand to watch the triple option anymore. Um, even though it is the military teams, uh, I understand it. I don't want them to change, but man, they are just bad football teams. So I'm taking Baylor. I think Baylor ends up tearing them apart. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think it's not going to be a close game. Uh, and another reason I'm picking this game is because it's the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. And, uh, one of my and our best buddies, Mark Scratis, is employed by Lockheed Martin in Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, we wanted to shout him out. So shout out to our boy, Mark keys. What about you? All right, so my lock this week is going to actually be our first pick. Uh, I've got the Camilla Bowl. It's Georgia Southern versus Buffalo. This is actually kind of interesting. Both these teams are pretty evenly matched going into this game. They're both 6-6. Six and six. A lot of their season stats look fairly similar. Uh, and another interesting tidbit there is Kyle Van Trees, a quarterback for Georgia Southern, uh, was a transfer from Buffalo. So he played his first four years at Buffalo. So it'll be interesting for him to see his old teammates and come back and play against them. Uh, I am going to take the Georgia Southern Eagles, you know, our alma mater. i got to take them, and hopefully Kyle Van Trees can stick one on his old team. So I've got Georgia Southern. I think it'll be a close win, but I, I think that they win by a touchdown. Keys, I like your pick, man. Yeah, we're picking this game, uh, like you said, Georgia Southern. Three-and-a-half-point favorite in the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, me and Keys will more than likely be in attendance to this game. I didn't even mention that. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be in attendance to this game in the lovely, lovely city of Montgomery uh, that we are super excited about saying uh, <laughs> not. But it should be a fun game. I'm going to call this, in 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 you know in honor of Chad, I'm going to call this game the first to a billion points game because I don't see anybody stopping anybody. Georgia Southern's offense is too solid. I don't think... Buffalo has been tested um, on the defensive side. They're giving up 400 yards a game. Uh, they they honestly, they're just not very good. Uh, the offenses are pretty solid. Georgia Southern's defense is 100% the worst defense in college football. Yeah, both teams let up about 30 points Exactly. A game. I mean, the over-under is 67, I think, in this game. And I think, I think both these teams hit 40 by halftime. I mean, I think it is like... <laughs> This is going to be like someone's going to score 80 in this game. You know, that I hope for our sake. It, it might be like 89 to 81, and that's the winning. That's the end score, which would probably be like one of the highest scoring games in college football history. So what's your final but What's your final score for this? 89 to 81. That's what's happening. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, if I'm being honest, it's probably going to be something like, I'm going to say like 52 to 48, like high, high, high scoring. Um, it's, it's a lot of throwing the ball, too. So I think, you know, the clock's going to tick a little bit slower than most other games. So I'm going to take Georgia Southern, of course. Um, we all went to Georgia Southern. I can't not pick them in the the national championship of Alabama bowl games. But, the uh, but you know, I got to do what I got to do. Van Treese is going to go off all over his old team. Uh, Georgia Southern all the way. I'm not picking against Georgia Southern. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. You guys remember a couple years ago, was it 2018? In the same wonderful, beautiful bowl game, our Georgia Southern Eagles in their first year under full-time head coach, good friend of the podcast and former coach Chad Lunsford, took it on down to Montgomery, Alabama in this very same Camellia Bowl, in this very same stadium, and Tyler Bass, all the magic of the foot of Tyler Bass, gave us a bowl win and capped off a 10-win season for the Biggest turnaround in the FBS of a plus eight margin after only winning two games a year before. And we're headed right back. You know our wonderful friend Cole Swindell is going to be in attendance. Keys and Wit are going to be in attendance. Mm, head, On top of that. Heads Carolina. Heads Carolina. 
Tails Montgomery. So <laughs> well, that was corny. That was corny. But I mean, from an actual football standpoint, look, Buffalo had to beat two and ten Akron in a rescheduled game during championship week just to be bowl eligible. Buffalo lost to Holy Cross. I'm gonna say that again. Buffalo lost to Holy Cross. That's an FCS team. Not North Dakota State or someone in the FCS that's actually relevant, but Holy Cross. Do I have to say anything else? Shout out, Rudy. It's not the same I mean, one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking Georgia Southern. I mean, I just, with Kyle Van Trees, Kyle Van Trees being a Buffalo transfer and all those magical, wonderful things that I picked this storytelling voice to say them in, we're not going to lose. We're, just, we're not going to lose. However, this game kicks off at 11 a.m. local time. I guarantee you that you guys will not leave the stadium until after dark because I do think the over is going to get hit way, way, way over on this one. But I am for real picking George Southern. Hell, hell damn. Chad, you were underestimating our ability to leave at halftime. Don't forget that. Um, either way, I, I, look, Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. Georgia Southern beat App State. Let's not forget, Georgia Southern beat App State. So we're not going to flute. Wait, who did they beat? Buffalo. App State. What is the Rowdy Southern Saturdays podcast in attendance at Georgia Southern games this year? What's our record? 1-0. Exactly. We're undefeated, baby. <laughs> we're undefeated. Like. It's 100 per, that's 100%. That's 100%. 100%. Like, we're not going to lose. We are absolutely undefeated. Uh, so this will be our second win for sure. So moving on, we got we're gonna go through a couple of these Wednesday, December twenty eighth games because uh, this is the next slate of very intriguing games. Uh, first off, being UCF versus Duke. Uh, UCF nine and four, Duke eight and four. Duke is a three point favorite over UCF, which I was a little surprised by. I don't know if that's due to a couple transfers or what. I know Duke was playing really well this year. This is the Military Bowl presented by Paraton. I don't know what a Peloton is, but it might be it might supposed to be Peloton. But either way, is um, that like the the in in place cycling? It bikes? says Peloton. Yeah, that's a Peloton, but it says Peloton, or at least on ESPN. But this could be just a lazy type issue. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think either way, I personally am going to go ahead and pick Duke to win this game. I I've watched Duke a couple times this year. Um, they've been playing very very well. Mike Elko's done a great job at Duke. Um, as they kind of knew he would. I mean, te- he did a really good job at Texas A&M when he was there as a defensive coordinator. Um, he hasn't really done anything crazy recruiting-wise, but he's come in and coached really well. Uh, I mean, Duke going 8-4 and four after the last couple of years they've had is just unbelievable. So as much as I like UCF, I like Gus Malzahn at UCF. I think he's a good fit. Um, I think in this game, Duke's going to come away with the win. I think it's going to be really, really close, something like maybe 28-24, something, something close like that. So uh, I'm picking Duke. Chad, what do you think? Um, well, for starters, let's just inform everyone, including ourselves, who don't actually know what Paraton is. Paraton Inc. is a privately held American technology company with corporate headquarters in Virginia who do cyberspace. Oh, so Chad's got Google on his phone now. How about that? Welcome <laughs> to 21st century, Chad. <laughs> Did you know that they were a cyberspace company? Because I did. <laughs> I thought they were a bicycle with a very attractive woman telling me how to how to ride. The Peloton bike. <laughs> Sexual. The Peloton bike. <laughs> the Peloton. <laughs> I'll take one Peloton, please. <laughs> all right, I'm just gonna go into my pick now. Yeah, we can cut all that shit. Go for it. <laughs> with, I am gonna go ahead and agree with you. Um, UCF lost two of their last three, and they struggled to beat South Florida. And I realize that that's a rivalry game. South Florida was terrible. You know, they fired their coach. Um, you know, they only beat them by seven points. They lost to Navy, who fired Niamantololo after after losing to Army. Navy, Navy misses the bowl game. And then they turn around, and they got waxed by Tulane. Um, just not a very good stretch of games to end the year for, for Gus Malzahn and UCF. Uh, Duke, man, Duke won four of their last five. Hell of a year for Duke, man. Mike Elko, first year coming over from Texas A&M after being their defense coordinator. They're eight and four and rolling into a bowl game with a quarterback who's thrown for 2,800 yards this year and 20 touchdowns. I mean, Duke is, if you look at Duke's stat lines, they average 421 yards a game. 
at Duke. Like, we're not talking about UNC. We're talking about Duke. We're talking about football. And, and, man, I just think with the year that they had, like Mike Elko obviously has a lot of buy-in on that football team. And I just think with the way UCF kind of skidded to the finish line to end their season, lost the conference championship, I've seen that, seen that out of Gus Malzahn before at Auburn. Why should I think it's going to be any different at UCF? So I'm going to go with Duke on this one. I'm actually going to take the over. I think they're going to be beat UCF by more than three points. That's not the over, but okay. You're taking the spread. Good job, Chad. Well done. We'll teach Chad about sports betting later. Either way, moving on to our next game, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. One of my favorite bowl games every single year, and I'm not kidding, surprisingly. This one is very interesting to me. We got Arkansas taking on Kansas. Both are 6-6. Six and six. Arkansas is a three-point favorite, which honestly, I thought, with K.J. Jefferson playing in this game, would be a little bit higher. Um, me, personally, I'm going with Arkansas. I think Arkansas runs Kansas out of the building. Um, I think Kansas has been a really good team this year. Uh, the coach has done a really good job there. They started off really, really strong. A lot of people thought that they would be what TCU ended up being, um, but that was not exactly the case. So I think Arkansas, they got K.J. Jefferson. They have a couple guys transferring out, so maybe that'll hurt them a little bit, but they still got Jaden Hazelwood. Um, they still have, what's his name, Raheem Sanders in the backfield. They're they're going to they're gonna run all over Kansas. So I, I'm going to go Arkansas. I think they win by at least 15. Chad, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to take the hogs here. Look, Kansas started out great. It was a cool story. Lance Leopold, fantastic job getting Kansas to 6-6 six and six and just his second year there and getting them to a bowl game. Great story. At one point, they were the hottest story in college football, but – Listen, they limped to the finish line. They were 5-0, and ended up 6-6. Six and six. That's not a good look to lose six out of your last seven games. Arkansas, Arkansas, really disappointing year, man. Coming into the year, a lot of people had Arkansas as a sleeper team in the West. Thought with K.J. Jefferson and the amount of talent they had on offense and how physical they were on defense, they could come back and, and really challenge guys. But K.J. Jefferson wasn't healthy. A lot of other injuries kind of plagued Arkansas, and they kind of limped their way to the finish line as well. But I still think overall, Arkansas has way too much talent. Sam Pittman, I still think, is one of the best coaches in the SEC. And I think he's got belief in that program. And look, if K.J. Jefferson is actually going to play in this game, Kansas – I know Jaden Daniels is a good quarterback. But I just think K.J. Jefferson can outduel Jaden Daniels. And they have the the more athletes around them to make plays. And I really do think that Arkansas is just going to out-athlete Kansas on both sides of the ball. Out physical, I'm on defense. Give me Arkansas. Give me Arkansas big. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our final game. We have the Credit Union, San Diego Credit Union, actually, specifically San Diego. Credit Union Holiday Bowl. We got Oregon and UNC. Oregon is the number 15 ranked team in the country in the final rankings. Um, Oregon was 9-3. and three. North Carolina was 9-4 and four after losing to Clemson in the title game. Oregon is a whopping 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Kind of surprising a little bit, but um, for me, this is the dueling the duel of two of the top five best quarterbacks that will return next year, Drake May and Bo Nix. Bo Nix recently uh, decided he was going to come back instead of going to the draft. Personally, I don't think that was a great decision considering such a great year he had and how his career has gone. But for Oregon, that's a huge, huge move for them, uh, getting him to come back, especially with the recruiting class they just pulled in. Everybody that's coming back next year, which they don't lose a lot of really good players um, besides a couple of transfers here and there. So I think they set up really well for next year. I think we're going to see that in this game. Uh, North Carolina, they got Drake May coming back. A lot of people thought he would jump ship and transfer. I think he flirted with Alabama a little bit. Now they have Bryce Young leaving. They didn't. They don't know what they're going to do next year. Um, he ended up deciding to stay. Uh, he has a lot of family ties to, to North Carolina. North Carolina is going to lose Tony Grimes for next year, who is – Big-time five-star corner. They ended up winning him over from UGA last year. Um, and so he, he picked North Carolina over Georgia when he was deciding to um, what school he was going to go play at at high school. Uh, and he is gone. He was one of their best players, for sure their best player on defense. So I think North Carolina is going to give up a lot of points in this game. I think Oregon's going to win pretty big. Um, I, was, I thought the spread would be a little bit lower. 14 and a half, that's a lot of points. But I do think Oregon covers that. I think they win by at least 17. They might even win by 20. I'm going to say Oregon scores like 
It'll it'll be something like 42 to 25, 24, something like that. It'll be around there. I just know Oregon's going to win. They're going to win big, and it, it's it's not going to be pretty. So, Oregon for me. Chad, what do you think? See, I'm going to have to disagree with you on the fact that I think Oregon's going to win by 20. See, I, I think whatever the money, the over is in this game for combined points, you need to hit it. Um, look, these two teams, uh, let's be real. It's not like Oregon's, Oregon's defense has played that great this year either. We all know the story of UNC's defense. that hasn't been very good all year. This game's going to come down to the athletes that both these teams have on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and it starts, obviously, at the quarterback position with Drake May and Bo Nix. Look, I think these two are going to just I, – I, I think Mac Brown and Dan Lanning are going to have a, just a staring contest to see who can throw the ball for more yards and, and put the ball in Bo Nix and Drake May's hands and say, whoever makes fewer mistakes in this game and doesn't turn the ball over, that's going to be the winner of this game. I do think, however, Bo Nix and his experience and the fact that he's coming back next year – is going to give Oregon the advantage. Um, there's going to be a lot to play for in this game for Oregon after losing two of their last three games, especially to Oregon State, to ruin their chance at the Pac-12 championship. They've had a couple weeks to sit there and think about that. Um, North Carolina, not the end of the season that they wanted. They've lost three straight, including the ACC championship game, and I think it's going to be four. Rough end of the year for North Carolina, but a very young team that they have coming back next year. But in this situation, I think the more experience at Oregon is going to prevail. But should be a fun, high-scoring game. Starts at 8 o'clock. Fully expect to be awake till 1 a.m. watching the finish. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.